Today's Bible reading is taken from Mark 1, verses 16 to 39, which can be found on page 1002 to 1003 of your pew Bibles. That's Mark chapter 1, verses 16 to 39. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once, they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in their synagogue was, who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus, said, Jesus sternly said. Come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this, a new teaching? And with authority, he even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening, after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you, Jesus replied. Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so that I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he travelled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. This is the word of the Lord. Last week we saw Jesus arrive on the scene. And with him we saw, right at the end of our passage last week, with him comes a new kingdom. We have a new kingdom with a new king. And with a new kingdom is a new authority. And this section we're looking at this morning speaks of Jesus' authority. I wonder what 
comes to mind when I mention the word authority, what you think of when the concept authority is brought up. It's not necessarily a popular concept today. Just on Friday, two days ago, I read some stats of a survey that was done amongst 16 to 24-year-olds. Here's two stats that really struck me, uh, stood out to me when it comes to authority and trust. Only 18% of 16 to 24-year-olds trust business leaders to tell the truth. And only 12% of 16 to 24-year-olds trust politicians to tell the truth. It's incredible stats, isn't it? Now, I'm not here this morning to, to comment on our politicians. Tim's already um, referred to the, the, um, the activity, the events of this past week. And I think it's fair to say we've seen the breakdown in authority recently. But it's not just politicians. We can look in many different areas. Those stats talked about business leaders, the authority they hold, and yet the lack of trust young people have in them. I wonder what it's like for you. I wonder how you feel about the authorities that you're called to submit to in your walk of life, whether that's in the workplace, whether that's at school or at college, whether that's at home. And you see, authority in and of itself isn't a bad thing. Without authority, that's a bad thing. That could almost lead to, at its worst probably, anarchy. However, there can certainly be bad authority, abused authority, misplaced authority. Authority can be a good thing, yet so sadly done in a bad way. And so the question can lead to, as it's led to, I think, for these 16 to 24-year-olds, who do we trust? Jesus, in this passage, comes with authority, Do you see the reaction of the people to Jesus and his authority? Verse 22 and verse 27. They're amazed at Jesus. The people are amazed. And this is a positive amazement. We could be amazed negatively, I think, over some of the events of the last week. I've been amazed, but not in a good way. These people are amazed positively at the things they see Jesus do and the things they hear Jesus say. I wonder when the last time was that you were amazed positively at an authority. Here in these verses, we see the authority of Jesus. And I want us this morning to see that this is an authority done in a good way. It's an attractive authority that I hope we will be amazed at, like the people in the passage. It's a good authority done in a good way that is good for people, both for Christians, those who trust in Jesus Christ, but I want us to see that it's good for those who wouldn't call themselves Christians as well. We're going to look at three aspects of Jesus' authority this morning. His authority to call, Jesus' authority over demons and disease, and Jesus' authority to preach. So here Jesus is, after he bursts on the scene last week, here he is as he begins his ministry. And the first thing we see is his authority to call in verses 16 to 20. And as I read these verses out, notice the immediacy and the totality of Jesus' authority to call. 
verse 16. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. It's an immediate reaction. Did you notice it? Verse 18, at once. Verse 20, without delay. There's no delay. There's no procrastination. There's no debate about the situation. So different, so often, to human authorities, whatever that might be. (laughs) Parent over a child, convincing the child this is the right thing to be doing. Teachers over students sometimes. Already mentioned the the lack of trust in authorities and, and the danger of a lack of trust in authorities is it leads to people not submitting to authorities. Jesus here calls grown adults, follow me. And at once, they follow. There's an immediate trust in Jesus' call that says, I'm in, I'm with you. It's immediate authority. And do you see the totality of his authority to call? These disciples, they, they leave all to follow Jesus. They leave all that is precious to them. Simon, that's Peter, Simon, Peter, and Andrew, they leave their nets, verse 18. James and John leave their father, verse 19. They're prepared to leave their livelihood, their careers, their possessions, their families in response to this call. They choose to abandon a life without Jesus for a life with Jesus. And so as we think about what this means for us, I think we need to be careful not to jump. I don't think this is a call to just abandon, to give up our careers or our jobs or our families or our possessions. But rather, I think the challenge here for us is a call for the radical reorientation of the priorities in our lives. You see, God has the audacity but the right to say, I am God. I am he who made you, created you. I have given you every good thing that you have. And so let me be number one in your life all of the time. It means a radical reorientation to the way that we relate to everything in our lives. It's letting his rule and his reign rise up against anything and everything that we may have or do in our lives. And so the challenge I found preparing this, that if I'm to stand up here preaching that, is that true for me? (laughs) And so as I think about, is it true for me, can I ask, is it true for you? I wonder where the challenge might lie for all of us at the moment. Where are we we hesitating or, or resisting? rather than giving total and immediate obedience over to Jesus Christ. Maybe it's the Monday through Friday. Maybe we come to church faithfully each Sunday. We'd we'd definitely call ourselves a Christian, but, 
but at work, to allow Jesus to shape the way that we work, the way we conduct ourselves, the way we relate to, to our clients or our customers or our colleagues, or replace work with school if you're younger, the way we interact with other people, respect our authorities. And maybe it's in our relationships, how we relate to those around us, whatever those relationships might be. If we're married, our, our husband or wife. If we have family, how we interact at home to our parents, to our children, to friends, to strangers on the street. Will we let God radically reorientate our priorities in our lives? And yet here's the challenge I think we can find in our culture at the moment is that we're told that our faith is to be a private thing. As someone once famously said, we don't do God. And so, so the growing cultural norm and, and pressure we can find as Christians today is to, to not bring our faith into work or into school or college or into the public sphere. Jesus calls us to an immediate and a total following of him, a radical reorientation of our priorities. Jesus has the authority to call. And then second, Jesus has the authority over demons and disease. Notice the quick scene change from Mark. We mentioned this last week. Mark is an author in a hurry, and so his book doesn't hang around. And so, verse 21, they go straight to Capernaum. It goes from the seaside to the synagogue, to the early disciples, to the religious crowds. Jesus and his new disciples, they head to the synagogue in Capernaum. And they enter the synagogue, and Jesus begins to teach. And as we've already seen, the people are amazed. And then, verse 23, Just then, a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. An evil spirit cries out at Jesus. He knows who Jesus is. And I wonder if you notice in what he says. He, he highlights Jesus' humanity, Jesus of Nazareth, and his divinity, the Holy One of God. And I wonder, did you notice the plural in what he says? What do you want with us? Have you come to destroy us? This isn't just one evil spirit but one representing the whole evil spiritual realm. They recognize Jesus, and they want to know, what on earth have you come to do? As we work through Mark, there are a number of common themes that run through the book. And here's one, conflict. Wherever Jesus seems to go, there seems to be conflict with different groups of people. And here is Jesus in conflict with the evil spiritual realm. But this conflict is not a duality. It's, it's not a battle between uh, good and evil where we just don't know who's going to win. Now, do you see the authority that Jesus displays over evil? Verse 25. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. And the evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. With just a few words, 
be quiet. It literally means be muzzled, like a farmer muzzling, quietening an animal. And yet Jesus can do it with just a few words. Jesus has the authority. He's in control of the spiritual realm. Verse 27, the people realize this. He gives orders and they obey. And it's not just evil, but it's physical illness. Have a look down verse 29. We get the quick pace of Mark's writing again. As soon as they left the synagogue, they go with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law is in bed with a fever, and they tell Jesus about her. So what happens? Jesus went to her, took her hand, and helped her up, and the fever left her. And I wonder if there's a danger for us today to to miss the astonishing nature of this for two reasons. First, there could be a danger of of an over-familiarity with Jesus. Here are the Gospels. We've read the Gospels before. Here's what Jesus does. He just gets on and does it. Jesus heals Simon Peter's mother-in-law. But second, because of our familiarity with modern medicine, a fever isn't curable in the first century. There was no medicine to help. A fever was a deadly killer. But to Jesus, he went to her, he takes her hand, and he helps her up. And so Jesus continues, verses 32 to 34. After sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases, and he drove out many demons. As I heard someone once say, when Jesus is in town, the hospital's emptied. Do you see the extent of his authority over the spiritual realm and over the physical realm? Total authority. But don't miss the nature of his authority. You see, encountering someone with this amount of authority could be a terrifying thing but it's a loving authority. Jesus comes to heal, not to harm. Jesus comes to serve you, not to domineer over you. Jesus comes to dismiss evil, not to do evil. It's a great power, but it's a gentle power. It's a loving power. It's to protect us. It's to do good. It's an attractive power. No wonder the people were amazed. We see Jesus' authority to call. We see Jesus' authority over demons and disease. And then finally, we see Jesus' authority to preach. I wonder um, if if you had authority like Jesus has. I wonder what you would do. Um, This was depicted in the box office classic, Bruce Almighty, if you've seen it. Um, If you haven't seen it, it's a very simple story. A man gets frustrated with God that he's not doing what he wants him to do, so God offers him his powers for a little while. And so what does this man do when he gets hold of the powers of God? Well, anything he can do for his own good, right? (laughs) He tries to sort his own life out. He makes his own life better. Because at the end of the day, the world says, look after number one. What would we expect Jesus to use his authority for? Maybe physical healing, 
maybe to end poverty, maybe for world peace. Well, it's really striking what Jesus chooses to use his authority primarily for. He uses it to preach. Jesus preaching his teaching, it's, it's amazing people. We've seen that in verses 21, 22. The people, did you see, they, they speak of a contrast between Jesus' teaching and that of the teachers of the law. And that contrast is his authority. As many of you will know, I've just moved to Basingstoke and so previously been at college. And I remember at the start of college and at the start of university, it was drummed into us the danger of plagiarism. Make sure you reference where your sources are. Make sure you don't get caught out. I think I was more scared of plagiarism than I was of writing a good essay because it's so important, apparently. You've got to show where you've got it from. It was the stress of every essay to get my footnoting and bibliography and referencing right. But the point is that when I write an essay, it's not based on my authority. I've I've got to show where I've got that authority from. And the teachers of the law in the first century, they would have done a similar thing in the synagogue. They aren't the authority. They would reference their authority. And so their teaching is based on what others would say. They would say, oh, so-and-so has said this, dot, dot, dot. But then this person has said this, dot, dot, dot. Jesus? Well, he doesn't, say, he doesn't base what he says on any other authority. No, he is the authority. He is the standard of truth. That is what is amazing people in the synagogue. Do you see it in verse 27? What is this? A new teaching and with authority. And in fact, as we see towards the end, his authority to preach is so important, it is his priority. Everyone is looking for him, verse 37. The phrase um, the disciples use, it's, it's, it's almost a rebuke. It's almost as if they're saying, Jesus, what on earth are you doing? Everyone's out looking for you. Why on earth would you get away and retreat and and, and avoid people? You're missing all the publicity. And we've seen his popularity is going through the roof. People are amazed. News about him spreads quickly, verse 28. The whole town gathers, verse 33. Everyone is looking for him, verse 37. And how does Jesus react? Verse 38, Jesus replies, Let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so that I can preach there also. That is why I have come. His priority is to use his authority to preach. That is why he has come, he says. Here's another theme to look out for as we travel through Mark, is the importance of the words of Jesus his teaching, his preaching, the words that he says. And yet here is one of only two places where Jesus talks about his reason for coming alongside Mark 10. Jesus says, my primary aim is to preach. Why? Well, because it shows our greatest problem and it shows our great solution. Do you remember Jesus' message uh, last week at the end in verse 15? The kingdom of God is near. 
repent and believe the good news. You see, Jesus says our greatest need is not physical, it's not relational, it's not emotional, it's not financial, it's not material, it's spiritual. Jesus, he looks past the outward problems and he looks into the heart. Jesus' priority is to preach because he knows what our greatest need is. And so he preaches a message of repentance and forgiveness. He shows that our our greatest problem is our need of forgiveness of sins. That the barrier that we put up against God, we mentioned it last week, where we turn away from him. We make ourselves king of our own lives. We say we don't want anything to do with him. Jesus comes to preach to show us our sin and to show us our need of forgiveness. And you see, there will be a time of healing and restoration, a time and a place where there will be no more tears, no more wrongdoing, no more evil, a time when we will have everything that we need. But Jesus knows that the only way to receive that is through forgiveness of sins. This is humanity's greatest need. And we'll see that displayed even more explicitly by Jesus next week in the next section. Jesus recognizes this, and so he makes makes it his priority in his ministry. And so he goes from here, verse 39. He travels throughout Galilee. He preaches in their synagogues and drives out demons. Driving out demons, I think, to demonstrate his authority, to back up his authority again, as we'll see next week. And so as we finish, do you notice the source of his authority in verses 35 to 37? It's an unusual few verses in Mark. The fast-paced gospel slows down. The narrative slows as Jesus gets away from it all, and he prays. You see, whilst being fully God and fully man, Jesus is fully dependent on his Father in heaven for his authority. And so he gets himself away and he prays. Here is Jesus, the Son of God, the most wise, the most powerful, the most authoritative, and yet relying on his Father. Do you know the next time Mark states Jesus withdraws away from people and prays? is in the Garden of Gethsemane, where we see Jesus is so reliant on his Father to help him get ready for what comes next as he prepares to go to the cross. Jesus' priority in ministry was to preach. He needed to tell people about their greatest need of sins forgiven. And then on the cross, he deals with humanity's greatest need. Jesus is judged so that you can be accepted. Jesus dies so that you may know life. Jesus is rejected so you can be forgiven. That is why I've come, Jesus says, and I've got to preach about it. 
And so will we trust in the authority of Jesus? I wonder what areas it is that we need to radically reorientate our lives and follow him. Maybe for you this morning, it's for the first time ever, hearing that call of Jesus to follow him. If that's you, please do speak to a Christian you know or, or come and speak to me about what that looks like. And do you notice what that looks like to follow him or the one way that Jesus highlights it looks like in verse 17? As soon as Jesus calls his disciples to follow me, he says, I will make you fishers of men. Jesus says, come follow me and I will send you out to go and fish for people. So will we radically reorientate the priorities in our lives? Will we follow him? And will we take this good news of forgiveness of sins out into the streets of Basingstoke to the people who desperately need to know it? Let me pray for us. Father God, in a world where society seems to question the authorities around us, thank you for Jesus and his authority. Thank you that it is a good loving authority. Please, Lord, help us to see his authority and therefore to want to follow him with all our hearts. Help us to know what areas of our lives we still need to give over to you and help us to faithfully follow the authority of Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.